Hello, nephew community. This is Dr. Laura Frank, Medical Science Liaison for Otsuka Pharmaceutical Development, Inc. We are here today with Dr. Richard Lindquist. He's our guest speaker, and we are going to be focusing on what is a bariatrician and can obesity medicine improve kidney outcomes. This podcast is featuring our guest lecturer to tell us what a bariatrician is and how role in obesity management impacted patients with kidney disease and related conditions. Furthermore, he will discuss how weight loss strategies, including diet and lifestyle modifications and or bariatric and metabolic surgery may improve kidney outcomes. So I would like to read a little bit of Dr. Lindquist's bio. He also is past medical director of Healthy Weight Initiative for Providence St. Joseph Health System in the Western United States. Now he's a consultant to hospitals and healthcare systems to assist with planning and development of many medical weight loss programs to support bariatric surgery programs and to assist in the education of practitioners in care with patients with obesity. Furthermore, Dr. Lindquist is actively involved in the state and national organizations as he earned numerous awards and recognitions for his work, including the Obesity Medicine Association's Bariatrician of the Year in 2013, and his many contributions in advancing the field of bariatric medicine. He also earned the 2015 Steelman Seam Educator Award for Excellence in Academics for advancing the cause of healthcare through education and teaching, including central nervous system regulation of hunger and satiety signaling. Now, hot topics for him uh, related to NEPHEW would be uh, the fact that he's on many projects, including obesity and renal disease, ketosis and health and disease, and working on an upcoming book for the Ideal Bariatric Center, developing and maintaining the modern metabolic and bariatric program. So without further ado, Dr. Richard Lindquist, and I'm going to call you Rick because that's what I know you as. Um, welcome, right. and how are you doing today, Rick? Oh, thanks, Laura. Yeah, that uh, It's nice to see you, and I'm doing well. Every day is a good day in Western Washington. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. And I want you to know that uh, Dr. Richard Lindquist lives in a beautiful area of Washington State called Squim. And if you look at it on the map, it looks like Sequim, but it really is pronounced Squim. Uh, so without further ado, can you explain to us what exactly is a bariatrician? Because that's actually what you're called. Right. So a bariatrician is a medical specialist who takes care of uh patients who have weight problems. And it's an old term. It actually originated, it comes from, from Greek, uh, bari or baros and iatric, which means the treatment of weight. Uh, the term entered the vernacular in the, in the U.S. in 1950 when the American Society of Bariatric Physicians was founded. Uh, it, they have since changed the name to the Obesity Medicine Association, which is a little more understandable. So a bariatrician is an obesity medicine specialist. Um, the, the, the surgeons have uh, take advantage and enjoy use of the word bariatric with bariatric surgery. So sometimes people, when they hear that word, they think of the surgery, 
But the word bariatric means overall the larger care of patients with weight problems. Okay. So when you worked with patients with uh, overweight or obesity, Mm -hmm. uh, what type of comorbid or co-related conditions did they present with? Right. Well, it's, uh, it's tempting to think that it's possible to be uh, heavy and be perfectly healthy through your life. And that may be possible at certain stages of life, but generally speaking, the presence of significant obesity adds a tremendous amount to the physical and metabolic burdens of health. And so what we would see basically very commonly are problems either with the mechanical side of of things with joint pain or sleep apnea or problems on the metabolic side. So diabetes was very, very common. Uh, Renal disease, less common, but a, a persistent presence of renal disease, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, hypertension, lipid problems, uh, impaired activities of daily living, ability to get around. So that's a whole host of things that you think of kind of the the illnesses that people pick up as they age through life. But a lot of it, tremendous percentage of it is related to the weight aspect. So if you can treat the weight, you can really improve all those other conditions. Okay. So would you say that individuals with kidney disease, uh, would they have diabetic kidney disease oftentimes, or would they just uh, have kidney disease without diabetes, or would it be mostly a mixture of a bunch of different comorbid conditions all at once? Uh, well, that's that's a good question. So uh, in our clinic, because we focus on weight issues, we have a higher percentage of our patients will have diseases like diabetes. So Uh, I tried to think about and pull up numbers. I couldn't come up with exact numbers for you, but approximately 45 to 50% of patients in our clinic uh, would have metabolic syndrome, which is some derangement in glucose metabolism, blood pressure, cholesterol, lipids, things like that. We probably had about 15% in our particular, uh, as a group, 15 to 20% had uh, full-blown diabetes. And then of that, a subset would have uh, renal disease. And so I think uh, a lot of the renal disease that we saw in our patients would come from long-term diabetic issues. But we also work very closely with the renal transplant department there at Swedish. And they would have folks not only with diabetes, but then hypertension weighs in as well. That combination, diabetes and hypertension, was a big one. And then they had a lot of folks who had a polycystic kidney uh, disorder at some point and and had progressive loss of renal function on a genetic basis through their life, largely. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it was very fascinating. Yeah. So when you uh, have these people, how how would you then um, recommend non-pharmacological treatment of overweight or obesity? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm going to split it into the two different populations. I'm going to say the folks that were referred to us from the renal transplant group, they were there to lose weight to get in line to have a kidney transplant. And so there we would either use a non-surgical method or sometimes they would go through our surgical pathway, have a bariatric surgery uh, approach of some kind in order to lose weight and improve their metabolic health and then have the surgery. On the non-surgical side, uh, the, uh, the, the main driver is 
what I call the continuum of care. You have a number of knobs that you can turn to try to help improve someone's health. You've got, of course, nutrition, and that's the big one. We'll come back to that in just a second. You also have the behavioral side of things, the coaching or counseling, because learning how to have a new relationship or a different relationship with food and eating and with weight, is there's a lot of learning or unlearning and then relearning that, that goes on. Physical activity is always important. Uh, interestingly, it's not as important for weight loss as it is for weight maintenance and, and for control of diabetes. Uh, and then, of course, we would use medication management. There are, uh, as time has gone on, we have more anti-obesity medications that are, are, are workable, some of which work very well and are safe in patients with renal disease, which is, that's been a, a big deal. Uh, and then our fifth pillar would be surgery to uh, for those folks who need surgery. But to think of people in terms of this care continuum with these elements, our major intervention, I think the one that comes at the beginning, is a nutritional strategy. And uh, it's not enough, as I'm sure people have figured out. Anybody with a weight problem has figured out that it's a little more complicated than push away from the table, exercise more, eat less, and all will be well. Uh that hasn't really worked out so well as a concept. So uh, our programs basically have been very structured, but fitted to the person in the particular lifestyle approach that they may want to have. So. Did you work with a multidisciplinary team with that? We did. We did. And we still do. Um, it's typical in a comprehensive program to have a multidisciplinary team. Uh, but not every patient needs all the components of that team. So, for example, uh, most folks who come in for non-surgical weight loss, they, they maybe they've got 30 to 50 pounds they want to lose. They're not really surgical candidates. Uh, the healthcare providers, the physicians, the nurse practitioners, the PAs would do the bulk of the coaching and counseling. And if we needed backup, for example, from the psychologist, we could do that. And uh, that's pretty typical because the... Uh, my experience has been that while losing weight is work, requires application and being present and keeping at it, uh, most people who want to lose some weight and improve their health, they don't have deep-seated psychological problems. They really just need some coaching and some counseling. And that was, uh, that was a very good, ex that's been a very good experience through my career. And so what about uh, collaborating with a registered dietitian for mm -hmm. Uh, you know, their nutrition needs. Did you ever do that? Absolutely, especially on the surgical side where you're looking at very much restricting and limiting portion size. You really have to eat more protein and there's not a lot of room for excess foods, I would say, after, with mm -hmm. surgery. On the medical side, we partnered with the dietitians, but a lot of the uh, type of approach we have, it's not really uh, so dramatic that you have to have a dietitian intervention all the time. But we partnered with them, and our, our protocols, for example, were written in conjunction, uh, collaboration with medical providers and uh, RDs. So it was a nice, nice relationship there, and that's typical. So, so you hit something on the on the head that I want to probe a little bit. You mm -hmm. you mentioned that uh, you know the diet being high in protein. So. Mm -hmm we know that that conflicts a little bit with CKD guidelines, right? With uh, looking at uh, restricting protein. And uh, if you look at CKD protein guidelines, uh, 
especially if they're pre-dialysis, uh, we're recommending 0.6 to 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight a day of protein needs. And then uh, conversely, we know in weight loss diets, uh, especially when we're looking at um, post-surgical, right, um, but but we'll just pick on pre-surgical weight loss patients, um, you know, we, we typically recommend a lot higher protein, right? We're, we're always aiming at 1.5, 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. Uh, so how do practitioners actually juggle that where you're looking at mm-hmm. somebody who uh, has a renal disease? And so uh, to highlight kidney preservation and renoprotective properties of low protein diets mm-hmm. compared to these high protein diets that we typically recommend in weight loss diets. Right. It can make you crazy, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the the uh, first concept is that every person really is different. And you have to take a look at that particular person's situation and then work through that. And uh, configuring the macronutrient composition for each person really is an individualized type thing within some limits. So in a non a patient with non-renal disease, you really don't have to worry about protein. There's, I'm not aware of any literature that shows uh, high protein, what we call high protein, the, the numbers you talked about, 1.5, 1.6 gram per kilo per day. There's no literature about protein causing renal disease. There is literature that dates back into the early 1990s with the modification of diet and renal disease studies that showed that if you restricted protein, you would prolong the length of time until there was end-stage renal disease. It didn't alter the outcome. It just prolonged the length of time. The and that So everybody got all excited about that, and that's, okay, great. You know, gee, we need to lower protein because we're going to kill our patients with kidney disease, and we don't want to do that. Then we found the other problem is that if you limit protein too much, you develop sarcopenia. People don't do well. You have to have protein in order to live. Protein's essential for life. So there's been a lot of changes over time. The um, uh, In a practical sense, from a weight management perspective, if we can have people get 90 to 120 grams of protein per day uh, across a population, that gives you enough frequency of feeding and enough leucine because it's, it, it turns out that the essential amino acid leucine is one of the key drivers for muscle preservation and for protein synthesis. And you need about three grams of leucine per bolus of protein spread out through the day, which winds up being about 90 to 100 grams or 120 grams, even more, of quality protein per day. So in order to get that, you've sort of got to get enough generic protein, if you will. So how do you how do you give how do you optimize protein knowing that higher protein helps maintain muscle preservation acts as a substrate for glucose pres, uh, uh, production so that people have steady blood sugars how do you keep people healthy and not hurt their kidney and you you can do that by following along and following renal function and uh, the the obesity medicine guy I just call my nephrologist and I say hey look mrs Mrs. So-and-so, she's, you know, I'd like to use 1.1 gram per kilo per day for her. I'd like to put her on around 90 to 100, let's just pick a number, 90 to 100 grams per day of protein. Is that a problem? Most of the time, 
they would say, no, that's fine. Let's follow this. And then you follow GFR and you follow creatinine and you follow proteinuria, things like that, and make sure that you're not harming the situation. Interestingly, uh, I, it's very, very uncommon for those types of protein levels we're talking about, even in patients with stage three renal disease, you see improvement and most likely because of, I assume because of the weight loss and the, you know, the, the lower inflammatory condition overall, we would often see GFR improve. We would often see uh, proteinuria improve. And in fact, in a dramatic example of that is in non-surgical patients coming with, diabe with diabetes, we put them on a high protein program. Uh, it would be, say, pick up some numbers here, give you examples, 120 grams of protein per day, uh, less than 100 grams of carbohydrate a day, and the let's say 50 to 60 grams of fat to come in around 11, 1200 calories. You have to do the math and make sure I just got that right. But the point <laughs> is, it's it's reduced carbohydrates under 100 grams or so. Protein in that 90 to 120 grams a day is a minimum. And we would see their uh, microalbumin it would just disappear. You'd be checking their urines. It, your kidney function practically improved. That was where I first saw it was in patients with type 2 diabetes. And it's like, and that was novel. You know, there's, there weren't a lot of studies out around this stuff. So everybody working in a reduced carb environment is saying, well, what, what are we going to do with folks? It turns out that there really are no downsides. And uh, the, there's good literature out there suggesting weight loss improves renal function, that uh, medical weight management programs also show an improvement in renal function. Uh, there's some good studies out there. So the literature supports that the weight loss component seems to outweigh whatever's potentially going to happen negatively with the protein and you follow it, you follow it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I think that the story that you're painting is something that we need to explore further with randomized clinical studies or mm -hmm. even high quality observational studies. And uh, so our future interactions together, Dr. Lindquist, will be really focused on looking into the literature as we move forward, um, showcasing some of this evidence on NEPHEW. So I look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, I know that looking at uh, especially bariatric surgery outcomes, um, you know, we, we see an improvement uh, in those cardiorenal properties, and you hit the nail on the head just because of the weight loss, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we also know, interestingly enough, uh, about attenuation of diabetes, mm -hmm. and that occurs independent of weight loss, mm -hmm. right? We, we know from early weight loss studies uh, from bariatric surgery that it's really the changes in um, the hindgut hormones, right? Mm -hmm. So we're looking at drivers such as um, GLP-1, oxytomodulin, and, uh, you know, other, other types of gut hormones um, that are attenuating and, and mitigating that, that diabetic profile. So I think it's fascinating to see um, the fact that there are metabolic changes uh, through bariatric surgery. Mm -hmm. And in, in fact, that's why it is indeed called now bariatric and metabolic surgery, as right. opposed to, uh, you know, in the, in the beginning of the science, it was just bariatric surgery, right? 
right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, you and I are preaching to uh, the same choir because, you know, we have been in obesity medicine for a long time. Um, So I look forward to future discussions with you about uh, the metabolic effects and in particular the effects on the kidney um, and the fact that these weight losses may actually improve, um, you know, kidney outcomes for our patients. That's right. And, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, I remember it, it as recently as about 10 years ago, the thought was, well, it's the weight loss that then leads to the improvement in diabetes and it leads to the to all these changes. It turns out that the the bariatric surgery showed us b- before anybody lost any weight, they came in on 100 units of insulin and they went home on none. And so what happened, and it's, it is, as you point out, it's those changes in gut hormones, GLP-1 and peptide YY are the two that, that have been most studied in, in our field. Uh, and those change immediately after bariatric surgery, particularly with the ruin white gastric bypass, less so with the sleeve, uh, but, but still to some degree. But, um, you know, the, 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 the rapidity of improvement is something I'd, I'd like to just touch on for a second. Sure. Even on the medical side of things, if someone would were to come in on a Monday and we would put them, let's say, let's say it's a woman and we put her on a 1200 calorie program with 120 grams of protein, less than 100 grams of carbohydrate, the remainder made up of of uh, of fats, healthy fats within 48 to 72 hours, the fasting glucoses have dropped tremendously. And you see it very, very rapidly to the point where if I put someone on a reduced calorie, low, reduced carbohydrate, higher protein, I call it protein enhanced. You know, there's such a wide range of what high protein means, but, but adequate protein for, for the right type of metabolism, we had to drop, I still have to drop their insulin by 50 percent cut their insulin in half or they're going to bottom out and it's not just because of the caloric composition it's because of the shift and dropping of carbohydrates and the the shift to different energy substrates so the the take-home message for me is you can very rapidly improve your metabolic situation through an appropriate assertive way of managing your weight the weight alone as well is pro-inflammatory. There's this low-level inflammatory stew we're cooking in because of the all the inflammatory cytokines, the products that the cells make, the, the fat cells make that help stimulate or trigger inflammation. That all cools down if you shift away from a, a high-carbohydrate strategy in weight loss. You know, that not a, a reduced-carb approach it's not the universal diet for everybody, <laughs> but if, you, if you're trying to deal with weight and you're trying to deal with blood sugar issues, reduced carb approach is, is just, it works. There are others that work, but it, it's a good one too. Yeah, I know that you've had great experience with that. Okay, Dr. Lanquist, I think our time is up uh, today, but we'll be back okay. visiting again and we'll get into a deeper dive on some of the research out there. So I really wanna thank you today for your time and expertise, letting us know what exactly is a bariatrician Mm -hmm. and how how you were able to help people to improve their weight status, but also to improve their cardiorenal outcomes. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Thank you. And I, I uh, would just send a message to people that uh, it's something you can do and, and it's definitely a doable thing to help improve your health. Thank you very much. Okay. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, that was our podcast today with Dr. Richard Lindquist, bariatrician and an expert in obesity medicine. So I really want to thank you for your time listening to this podcast, and we'll have more on nephew.org, sponsored by Otsuka Pharmaceutical Development and Commercialization, Inc. Bye-bye. Bye.